0: This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Steven Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I am really excited. I have a local friend here, Dan. Of course, you guys know I'm living out in Denver these days. And uh, Dan is a badass real estate agent and broker and investor and is doing a lot of really cool things. So thanks for being with us, Dan. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on today. Awesome. So Dan Mackin is a full-time real estate broker in the Denver market and invests in the Denver market right here. A lot of good lessons learned we're going to talk about. Uh, Runs a huge meetup called the Badass Real Estate Investor Meetup. And how many people are going to that every month? Hundreds? Yeah, we're
1: getting, for each meeting, we're getting usually 100 plus now for the main groups.
0: It's absolutely incredible. Love going there. Always good people there. Uh, he works with his partner, Anson Young, on that. Also a big Denver real estate guy. Uh, he also runs the Millennial Real Estate Investor Podcast, which has been growing like crazy. And if you go back, I am on an earlier episode, which was definitely a lot of fun. And uh, I definitely recommend checking that out. Grateful to have you here. Grateful to be able to dive into some stuff with you. Are you ready? Oh, definitely. All right. So if we take a look back, obviously you're hitting some success now. You've got your feet under you. You're starting to learn about real estate. You're a broker. You're an agent. You're doing some awesome things. But if you take a look back, what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today?
1: Well, I had one thing that, well let's put it this way. I grew up in a white collar family that lived like we were blue collar. So, you know, my dad was a programmer. My mom did not work, but because my dad was a programmer and they decided to have six kids, you couldn't tell that my parents made a lot of money at that point. So, you know, no matter, even though we were in the top bracket of income for our area and most of the country for that matter, you couldn't tell. We drove around in like a 1994 Ram van that would pack all eight of us into it. I remember doing road trips across the country because, We couldn't, you know, they would never afford planes. I think the first time I flew when I was, was when I was 12 years old and that was by myself um, because the whole family couldn't do it together. And, you know, just growing up, kind of learning that you don't need a ton of things. You just need things that you very specifically want. um, And just like one big item, things like that. Like I like to ask people, if you go back and look at Christmas, do you actually remember specific gifts or are you one of those people who got so many gifts, you can't remember any of them? I like have three things I specifically remember over that time. And, you know, just going through that with my parents, my, uh, they're both very entrepreneurial mindset. Um, but they had some failures along the way, um, which actually caused them back in about 2009 or 2010, they had to file bankruptcy. Um, so I got, they, they didn't tell me until like two years ago that that actually happened. Um, but it was just one of those odd things that happened where, Apparently I, I ended up kind of homeless for a couple of months. I got the housing situation got weird and apparently me moving back into my parents' house was what made it so they could actually file bankruptcy. Um, so now kind of reflecting back on all this, you know, I remember being in fifth grade and um, you know, destroying my shin where I needed stitches, but I never told my parents because I knew we didn't have health insurance at that time. So a lot of this kind of put me into this mindset of like, you know, what, do you actually do with your money, and what's important to you? To my parents, even though it seemed like we were broke a lot, we did fine, and it was just a thing where their priority was having a big family and having a lot of that love around them. For that, um, it wasn't about having a big house, having all these different things, and so that's kind of manipulated my mindset into how I feel today about what I'm pursuing and you know how I look at life in
0: general. That's incredible. Like, how do you think that experience has shaped? what you're focused on and what you're doing today in your day-to-day career
1: well as i've progressed it's made me consider things more in terms of what i'm truly desiring you know there's a lot of folks who are looking at like i want to make a ton of cash i want to make all these different you know huge goals and i've realized that as time has gone on i have fairly simple wants and desires like they're they're pretty straightforward i really enjoy riding my bike i really enjoy hanging out with my family i like the outdoors and a lot of those things aren't that expensive really when it comes down to it. You know uh, my wife has this thing where she's like, we need to go do all these activities. i was like, no, let's just go to the park and hang out and do that. And I'm completely content doing those things. Do I have some expensive tastes? Yeah. It used to be cars. um, And I've slowly worked myself out of that. I I drive a hybrid now, which is kind of like a big faux pas for a car guy to drive, but whatever. Um, But I've moved my way down to where like my expensive things now are bikes. I have you know, I ride cargo bikes for anybody who's out there. So I'm one of the weirder real estate agents who's not driving around in a Mercedes, but you know, locally I get to ride around on my bike. I did a thousand miles just locally last year on my bicycle and it worked great. So just in general, it's kind of made me really consider just each thing I'm purchasing. And admittedly years ago, I wasn't considering it, but now that I've gotten older and actually am reflecting on what I want my life to be. um, It's, it's made me realize how much simpler things can be where i'm still completely content
0: absolutely absolutely i i can relate a lot to your your upbringing i mean we didn't grow up bottom of the the, the totem pole completely but we had some pretty pretty rough beginnings but what's so interesting about that is it teaches you so much and usually it can be directly linked to people's drive. And for you, it sounds like what it did for you is it, it showed you what you really appreciate. And now you have a wife and kids and you're building a career. You know, that could have driven you one direction where all you do is care about money and and trying to not ever live in that situation again. But it's actually brought you to to a happier place. Uh, not that money's not happy, but it's brought you to a happier place where you. it sounds like you really appreciate the day-to-day life.
1: I do. And that's one thing I think a lot of people miss is they're so stuck on whatever this big goal is that they're not like everybody who's trying to reach this big goal. A lot of them aren't enjoying the day-to-day and they're always like anybody who's like planning for retirement at 65. That just sounds boring as hell. Why would I want to wait or work for 40 years to make my life enjoyable at that point? I want to be able to enjoy it now and set it up where I'm stable enough that I can enjoy it then as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm definitely a grinder. I like to work really, really hard, but life's about enjoyment. You got to have, you got to take those breaks. It's a good reminder to do that. So tell us a little bit about what your primary focus is on the career front. I know you're a broker. You've done a little bit of investing and, and you're helping folks find investment properties. Tell us a little bit about, about that.
1: Yeah. So as you said, I'm full-time in the broker thing. I'm coming up on my finishing up my fourth year um, in doing that. And admittedly, like the broker thing is fun to do. Um, I work with about half investors and half just your typical homeowner who want pretty houses and their perfect thing and all that. And I, I admittedly have found it to be a bit difficult um, to work with the regular homeowner sometimes because my mindset has changed so much to more of a thing of, um, true needs and very specific things versus like grand visions of what you should have to compare yourself to the neighbors. And it's made me kind of have to reflect on, you know, other people's desires aren't mine. And so I've had a couple moments where I've had to just stop because I realized that they're not me. They have different ideas of what they want. Um, and I need to respect that and go with it. But it has made me also realize that I can kind of coach people through a couple things where, um, if I think they're kind of pushing themselves too far financially, my goal is to kind of pull them back a little bit and make them realize what they're putting themselves into. Like if somebody qualifies for a $400,000 house um, and I can get them to like something that's $260,000 and this is just for a primary residence. Awesome. You know how much money I just save them on a monthly basis for something that they're still going to be happy with. It's huge. Um, And so I found that I'm working into that balance of, you know, what their desires are, me trying to be more beneficial to them other than just trying to get a big paycheck um, and make it to where people aren't putting themselves in this financial hole for the future. Um, that's and inc- then as far as, in that, sorry.
0: No, I was just going to say that's incredible because you're actually, you're coaching them against your own benefit. As a broker, you only make money based on how much they spend. And so when you end up going out and doing that, that has to build a huge level of trust to know that you're actually going against your own best interest to help that person get what's probably better for them.
1: Yeah. There's been plenty of cases where I even haven't made a commission because in the end, somebody I convinced somebody that they should not buy right now. But at the end of the day, do you, I don't want my name riding on the fact or even my kind of uh general mentality to be like, I just need this paycheck. I've never had that. So I've even been in financial situations where I needed that check, but I knew if I was doing something just for my short term benefit, I would end up screwing somebody over in the long term.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let let the moral side of it guide you instead of uh, the other side. So, where do you spend about ninety percent of your time in your business?
1: Ninety percent of my time is spent networking. Um, so, you know, most most people who get into this, they're like, I'm going to advertise all over the place. I'm going to do all these things. And years ago, I ended up in kind of a weird spot where I did really well. But I ended up getting so complacent because I thought I was doing well that everything stopped working. Um, And I started going into that kind of doubt situation where everything I was doing was the exact opposite of what I was doing before. Because once the thing you think was working stops working, you go, you freak out, you start throwing things at whatever you think might work, and none of it works because it's not what suits you. So since the beginning of becoming an agent and getting into this business, I've only... Like, I think it was like 75 to 80% of my business just came from networking. It wasn't like sphere of influence. It was literally just me going and talking to people. Um, And you know how expensive that is? Almost zero. Like it's, it's darn cheap. It might be a lunch. It might be a beer, things like that. But I'm not spending thousands of dollars to put up Facebook ads or Google ads or any things like that. It's just chatting, having a fun lunch, meeting some people and making some relationships. And that works so well.
0: Yeah, that's what I love about being able to talk with people from all around the country and the world on what's working for them because uh, it's inspiring to realize that you could get started in this business doing real estate, being an investor, being a broker, uh, being a multifamily uh, developer without necessarily having to have this huge budget as long as you put things together in the right way. Because I'm actually doing the exact opposite thing, Dan. I almost, I get almost none of my deals through networking and I spend, you know, huge amounts of money every single month on marketing to bring in leads, potential opportunities. And what's great is there's no way there, there's not one way to do something right. Personally, I think the fact that you're not spending any money on marketing is heck, that's, that's great. I need to start adding some of that into my business.
1: (laughs) It's a balance. I think somebody, somebody asked me, um, you know, cause I think last year, you know, I made over 150 K in commissions and somebody asked me, they're like, Oh, how much did it cost you to get that? And I looked at the numbers and I was like, uh, three grand, I think was what it cost me in actual costs. Cause it was all networking. It was all through things like that. So I'm, I'm it, but I know I'm maxing out how much my networking can attribute to that. So I do have to put myself into that uncomfortable zone of going outside of that, but it was still a good reference to myself. Of like my actual expenses for it are so low that why not do it?
0: Okay. Hey, Team Von Finch, everyone who's listening to this, please get your pen and paper out and write this down. That's valuable right there. That's the salary all of you guys are wanting to make. And he's doing it without spending any money on marketing. Get out there and do it. So uh, you're doing something which, to be honest, I, I don't think very many people do well. The real estate broker or agent path. There's a reason why... You know, uh, it's a rough number, but, you know, 80% of transactions happen with 3% of brokers or realtors. And it's because most of the time there's not a good, there's not a good training program. There's not a good onboarding plan and there's not a good way for somebody to get started in this, in this business. And most people don't realize that it's actually really difficult to be good at this, right? When I say difficult, it's, it's a pretty simple business, but you have to work at it at least initially. So what do you think that you're doing differently or what have you seen done differently that ends up leading to being a great broker?
1: Well, a big part of it, you know, the hardest part with being a broker and at the end of it, if you, once you get the client, it's not horribly hard to get further with that. You just need to be knowledgeable in the contracts and the things that the classes, I'll put quotes around that the classes teach you about. Um, But it really is the getting, it's getting the deal or getting the client. That's the hardest part. And that's where most people fail. So many, like the 80% statistic or, you know, the amount of fallout that happens in this industry is so huge, but it's because so many people look at it as this kind of part-time gig that they can just do on the side because they'll have a friend or two friends that'll buy a house once in a while and they'll just do it for that. So it's hard to, it's hard to look at the statistics and get a true gauge of what people who are doing this full-time are really doing in terms of volume. Um, But for me, what I found is you have to make yourself stand out in different ways. So immediately, like the first things I did when I got into this was um, I looked at it and said, what do I enjoy doing? I love building a community. I remember growing up, living in a cul-de-sac and playing street hockey with the entire cul-de-sac on Thursday nights. Loved that. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody goes out, does neighborhood type things, meets their neighbors. I live in a building with eight units, and I talk to my neighbors long term mm, twice a year like there's not there's not much going on in terms of conversation, so I figured out I was like you know what i can 't be the only one who's missing this, so how can I bring the community back together and do something where I actually enjoy it so first thing I did I went out I bought an outdoor movie screen, some speakers, a projector. It was like a thousand bucks I think I put into it. And I ran three movies a summer for the past. This is my fourth summer doing it now. Um, And all I needed was one transaction to pay off that purchase. I had that transaction, I think within a couple months of starting. And so now everything from then on, the equipment's paid for. I have an awesome outdoor inflatable screen and all these other fun things. And it is completely paid for now. And I've gotten, I'd say like from that alone, I've gotten four or five more transactions. So within just doing a thousand dollar purchase and taking my kids out to watch movies on a Saturday night in the summers, I'm I've made, you know, tens, twenties of thousands of dollars. I can't, I don't know what the numbers right now, but that alone was just simple enough where everybody else is like, if you send postcards with four, three, I think it was like three postcard mailings to my neighborhood is how much it cost me to buy this outdoor movie setup.
0: Yeah. So why not
1: do that? Um,
0: Yeah. And the benefit too, is that you're actually connecting with those people, building a relationship. You're getting a lot more than just the business out of it. The business ends up coming.
1: Exactly. And half the leads I've gotten from it aren't people who came to the movie. It was everybody else in the neighborhood who had made friends with some of their neighbors. When it came up, they say, oh, who would you work with? My name comes up, which is exactly, you know, that's what I'm hoping for. Because even if you meet the folks who aren't planning on doing anything in the near future that's not important. It's who they know. That's what I've always found. It's never who you know. It's who you know. It's <laughs> trying to think how to word without sounding weird. It's whoever you know and who they know. It's the kind of second and third steps. It's never... It might not be a direct lead, but if somebody trusts you enough, they're going to easily recommend you to somebody else. It's that whole thing about sphere of influence and those different things that you have. Um, so that was my big thing. And then like I said, I'm, I'm pretty social. When I got into real estate, before I was doing this, I was a database administrator, which is the worst job for an extrovert to have. Um, I was just wearing headphones and being grumpy when people would interrupt me all day. And so when I got into this, I was like, I want to do something that makes me more social and I can get out and try to utilize that. So that's when I started the meetup group. I started that just about four years ago as well. Like the day I got my license, I posted the first meetup uh, for like a month later because I figured, you know what? I'm going to do it. Go for it. I
0: first love that. Time
1: first time 18 people showed up. And as we've said, now we're up to, you know, a couple hundred people a month, depending on where we're looking at.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. So it sounds like things are going really good on that front. You're building a lot of good relationships, which I think is key to happiness. Key to living a good life is the connections that you have. So on a, on a different note, we've all ran into some challenges along the way. How do you, how do you deal with when somebody else in your life that you really care a lot about is going through a time where their mindset just isn't right. You know, they're not they're not thinking the way that you're thinking, and you're going through a really tough time because uh, it sounds like you know you you ran into that at one point. You mind telling us a little yeah. bit about that?
1: Yeah, I actually did. So about about a year ago. So it actually kicked off around let's see, and a year ago is when we finally started getting out of it. But basically, um, when I had my second child, or my wife and I had our second child. Um, I decided about 2 months after that after our daughter was born to take a trip to a conference called FinCon down in Texas. It was my first time going and I was super excited. And I just I think I was just in my own world. I wasn't caring as much about her as I should have. But the problem was when I left it actually triggered her into really deep bout of depression for the next 6 months. And it's hard to recognize depression from the outside. I think so many people just think it's something that people make up because they're not happy with their lives or whatever. But this was legitimate problems where she was saying things that if a sane person had said that, like somebody who was in their right mind had said that they would be put in jail, like just things that you don't realize that you're losing the person that was there. Um, And so what happened was all of a sudden, you know, for six months, things got worse and worse and worse where I was at the point where if you ever think about divorce, you need to really like you need to really reflect on why you're looking at that as an option as something that you'd even want to do. And that thought started popping into my head. But the day that that thought popped up, that was when I realized something needed to change. You know, my parents were asking me like, you know, is your marriage more important to your child? Like, you know, which would you go for here? It it got hard. And we finally hit a point where my wife just, you know, I, I don't like meds in terms of things like that. You know, like depression meds scare me, things of that sort. But we got to a point where she was so far gone that, it's not like I was going to lose her anymore by putting her on those meds. And so she went on them. And as the couple months went by, she finally hit this point of like coming back to herself. And it is amazing how fast that turns around. But the way I kind of look back at this is if, if I didn't have kind of the general drive that I do, and like if I'm committing to something, I'm committing to it. I'm not just doing things willy nilly and saying, I'm just going to try this out. Like if I do that, I'm trying it out, but with a solid commitment to really give it my effort. To see if it'll work and when I got married, I got married quite young at 22 But when I did it, it wasn't like eh, i'm just gonna try this out I even like for anybody watching I have a tattoo of my ring This is not a like oh, I can just take this off and toss it away And so that the tattoo actually did help me reference of this is something I committed to my wife is somebody I committed to Um, and i'm gonna get this back to a spot. It needs to be and I did we're back to normal now she actually took that as the learning lesson too, to help other people who were in that same situation and help them get past it because it was such a dire thing for her. And now she she understands what it's like to be in that position.
0: So it's such a strong thing. And and the truth be told, a lot of people deal with times where, you know, their mindset isn't right. A lot of that, some of it's chemical and some of it is just that you start believing a certain set of beliefs, right? And it really throws you off. But what I like about what you said, and which I think, the listeners can really underline is that you noticed that there was a problem. So you felt some pain. You thought to yourself, hey, hmm, something's not right here. I'm considering exiting this situation. I'm considering leaving, dealing with this pain anymore and trying to find another another out, another route to go, which is just a tool. It's a tool that signal to you, Hey, something's off. Let's go figure out what it is. Let's see if we can figure out a solution. And just like you probably do in your business and in other areas of your life, you said, you know what, I'm committed to persisting through whatever challenges we're going to deal with. And you end up getting to the other side, right? And it sounds like things are a lot better now. And I'm sure you probably have a stronger relationship because of it.
1: Oh, we definitely do. And it, it made her realize the things that she has a true desire to work on in life. Like, I enjoy helping people and teaching. That's one of my favorite things to do. And because she's gone through this, it's actually made her take steps now towards what she actually wants to be doing with her life versus just pursuing a paycheck and things like that. So it was a huge, huge benefit for our relationship and a huge benefit for her to actually realize, here's what I want to do with my life. Why am I wasting my time with this other stuff? Like, it's given her the desire to take that risk and jump into something else so she can actually be happy with what she's doing
0: as well. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that because, you know, it's personal and that's one of the reasons why we don't hear about this stuff every day. Um, But, you know, the truth be told, the only way that other people are going to recognize that there is, they're dealing with a situation someone else has dealt with and that you can get through it is by being able to be open and having honest communication about it. And Now that it's something that sounds like behind you, it's easier for that to be able to come out. Um, but we're going to face these challenges no matter if we're talking business or personal life. And frankly, if there's problems in your personal life, that's going to affect your business way more than yep. if you have some deal that falls through. Believe me, um, I've seen it happen with uh, with partners, with employees, with team members, and with myself. If something's wrong on the personal side, it starts Eating its way into the business and you gotta you gotta solve that problem when it comes right up.
1: Exactly. It's you just have to approach it and not if you just give up on it, you know, there's a certain point where, yeah, maybe you should take a step back and it might not be the right thing, especially with business, but you have to put some effort in to try to fix it because there's gonna be speed bumps along the way. Some are just a lot bigger than others, and you need to reflect on each one and actually see where the best steps are that you need to take.
0: So we've all been in the same boat before where we start growing, we start learning about something, and we get inspired. We say one of my favorite lines, if he can do it, or if they can do it, I can do it. And that's great because it kicks you off. But then you start surrounding yourself by people who are doing things that maybe are different than your original set of goals. How do you deal with that when you are on a path and You know exactly where you want to go. You start going down that path and you look around and you see the people driving BMWs and Mercedes and you're over here on your bike.
1: I've realized it just comes down to, uh, you know, constantly reflecting on why you're pursuing what you're pursuing. Um, And so I like to joke that everybody, a lot of people know the term FOMO. Um, So it's fear of missing out. Um, that's become a much more prominent term as time has gone on, especially with social media, things like that. You know, teenagers have a big problem with depression now because they're having this huge fear of missing out because they're constantly seeing things they weren't invited to. So I was, I've been trying to figure out for months, a term that was kind of counter to FOMO. Um, but I was more looking at like, what's the opposite of keeping up with the Joneses, but there wasn't really any good term that came up. So then a buddy of mine came up with JOMO, which is just joy of missing out. And so that's kind of become my new thing is just, you know, it it's confusing to somebody who doesn't know what FOMO is, but you want to actually take the fact that like if I see somebody driving around in a Mercedes or a BMW or whatever it is, I have to look at them and say, like, half the time I see that is when I'm on my bike and I'm enjoying the fact that I'm riding around on my bike and doing whatever and getting some exercise and enjoying the outdoors. And I while well, I have that kind of twinge of uh jealousy that pops in, I have to realize that just because they have that, most of those people are broke. And so even though they have it it's just this outward thing. Do I know people who have those vehicles or other things that I might desire that actually could afford them and paid for them? Yes, but a majority of folks that are out there don't. Like I live in one of the cheapest places in my town and I make one of the highest incomes in my town at the same time, but I'm completely happy with it. Like I could be go buy a, another house that's bigger. Like I live in 1400 square feet with a family of four. Totally content, no problem with it. Where you know, plenty of folks here go and buy. You know, my parents just bought five thousand square foot house for multiple reasons. But I know a bunch of people in their neighborhood. There's three folks living in a five thousand square foot house, and they're paying way more than they should for what would actually make them happy. So, I I don't. I think the biggest thing is just coming back to what what you want. Everybody else is going to have different desires. You can't change everybody. Um, just go towards what actually makes you happy. And if you compare yourself to everybody else every day, you're, you're just going to have that fear and constant doubt of what you're doing, where if you just look at it and you'd be like, you know what, because of what I do, if I, let's say I had a $500 a month car payment, maybe that would mean I couldn't go out on a Tuesday at one o'clock and take a bike ride to the post office or do whatever it is. Cause I needed to be hustling that entire time. And I couldn't just take a mental break. Um, and it's just, it's great to do it the way
0: when you actually you want. I, I love that because the the key thing for me that, I, that I, I see with that is, you know why you're going after what you're going after and you're bringing yourself back to that place. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to drive nice cars or live in a nice house or want to reach to a certain level where you're kind of leveling your way up because I definitely used to think that. I used to think, mm, I don't want to be a millionaire. I don't want to have this having that makes me like a certain type of person and that's a belief and I changed it. And so I'm okay with it. On the same token, I know firsthand that it's so easy to get drawn into looking at what everyone else is doing and not be able to appreciate where you're at. You know, no matter how much success you have, there's always going to be somebody else who's going to have more. There's always going to be somebody else who has, the next new thing or is growing just a little bit faster or who is new to the game and is doing things that no one else has ever done. And so if you're going to be driven by significance, and that means that you're going to be driven by this feeling of having to be the most important person in the room and the most successful and the best, you're never going to be happy because there's always going to be somebody else. So it sounds like you found a way for yourself to value something that's more important and to continuously come back to those values.
1: Yeah, and I'll admit, like I'm not perfect. I do get jealous of people once in a while. There's no way to completely avoid that, but it's just that self-reflection of why are you being jealous about it and reflecting on the fact that is it something, like in the long term, if I ever get to the point where I am making enough or I have enough setup where I could have a nicer car, hell yeah, I'm going to get a nicer car, but it's because I, I actually enjoy having them for a different reason versus just showing them off. Like from the, from 15 years old, I've been working on cars. Even now I could take my car to mechanic for some things, but I actually enjoy tinkering around with it and messing with it. So, you know, there's, I look at different things and have just found that, you know, like you said, I'm doing things for what I want to do. Do I get jealous? Yes. But at the end of the day, I know that if I strive and do the right things that I can get the things I want down the road.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you're going to be driven by what other people want, you're never going to be happy. I just got a new car and it's great. And I love it. And it's sexy and it's fast and it's a plug-in hybrid. And yeah, it, it was expensive, but it feels good because it's what I wanted. And it's not because it's what other people wanted, because I could definitely look at plenty of other investors that I know who are driving R8s, Ferraris, who have multiple cars, multiple houses. They got this. There's always somebody who's going to have something that's just a level up, but you just got to appreciate where you're at. And if you want something, find a way to go make it happen.
1: Exactly. Just look at every, like take everybody else and go, that's awesome. I'm fine still though.
0: Yep. Yep. Exactly. I love that. I love that. Well, it sounds like you have some good way of thinking about things when it comes to habits. What are some of the, the keystone habits? What are the, some of the things that you do on a daily or weekly basis that you think really help you level up and, and uh, stay on your best game?
1: One of the biggest things I learned a couple of years ago was there's, it's very easy to burn out um, in something like this. You know, I, I look at it in my actual, when I'm at my most efficient right now in terms of what I can do, um, I'm working maybe half of my waking hours. But it's because within those hours, that's when I'm most effective because I'm doing things on the other times that are keeping me happy to where when I'm in business, I'm not feeling like that's all I'm doing with my life. So a couple days a week, I take care of a couple things in the morning, just a little bit of work, take care of getting my daughters to school, things of that sort. And then I go climb for an hour and a half. And then after I climb, I work for the next five to six hours straight. But I have gotten kind of like my day is off to this like good start where I got a few important things done took care of my family, saw my kids, and then just focus on work for that five or six hours. And I get so much more done in that day than I do on the days that I have full time to work the whole thing. Just because you kind of get in those distraction modes where you can't really focus because you're just too much in one thing. So I found for me, the biggest thing is adding some variety and not just focusing on work. Even for, um, you know, when I, I had an issue a couple of years ago where... All I did was like business books and business podcasts and everything like that. And that was the whole point where I got complacent. And I literally went from doing two transactions a month to nothing for six months. I literally made no paycheck for six months. Not that I wasn't out there working, making offers, doing things of that sort. But literally, I just put myself into this horrible situation because all I was focusing on was business. There was nothing else I was focusing on. And so as I learned what was happening there and pulled myself out of it, I stopped doing all of those things to the point of figuring out, you know, what is actually driving me forward versus trying to that whole thing of like reaching perfection in somebody else's eyes. Like I tried doing the miracle morning, which I know a bunch of people have done horrible for me. does not work for me at all, but it's because I realized that's not my mindset. And the whole time I wasn't doing it, I was kind of getting in a weird mental state because it's like, I'm not doing what all the best people in the world are doing. I realized it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Um, so it was just kind of coming back to that thing of, you know, now if I listen to audiobooks, I might listen to a business book every third book or something. But in between, I'll listen to something nonfiction that works my brain. I'll listen to fiction just because it puts you into a different world. But that lets you go over different things without it having to be relevant to your day-to-day life. It just makes you think on different items where if life is all about business, it's very hard to keep going. And you honestly become really
0: boring to talk to for other people. Absolutely. The key, the key there of course is learn what works for you because somebody might be able to put everything that they have into reading business books. And that's what really gets them fired up and excited and revved up. And they're just, they're just on fire. And for you that that's, that's not what works. And so I like to see that, that great example. So now we're at, we're at the end of uh, the show here. We're in the we have the growth rapid fire questions, which aren't so rapid. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's knock out these next three together. Okay. What's a book that's impacted your life the most or one that you're the most excited about right now?
1: So the, the book I'm most excited about lately, it's, it's nonfiction. It's written by a couple of different professors. Um, it's called the coddling of the American mind. Um, and what it goes into is something it's, Basically, a lot of us know about different things that have been happening on college campuses lately where there's uproar about somebody just having a different opinion from you, which anytime you're in business or whatever it may be, those differing opinions are what make you actually grow. You know, having somebody fight what you say or not fight, but just debate it and give you other perspectives on it is a big part of progressing in general. Um, And so the book goes through why this is happening, um, what's causing it, and what people are trying to do to go against that, to bring it back to where people can actually have civilized conversations with folks. And it's not becoming this, you know, one side completely hates the other side and there's no middle ground. You know, there's a lot of middle ground, but those people never speak up. So it's a really interesting book, especially if you have kids or you're going to have kids to go through and think on your perspective of how you look at the world and what you're really raising them to uh, consider as they grow up.
0: Sounds powerful and very relevant to where we're at right now. So, Dan, looking at your purpose, why do you do what you do?
1: I do what I do to help people actually have a better life for themselves. Um, so, like I said, at the end of the day, my favorite thing is teaching people. So, that's why a big part of the meetup is helping bring people together so they can learn from each other um, and building that community. And then, you know, Ben and I run this podcast so we can actually teach folks. It's just like, it's such a simple thing. But getting that message from somebody who says, you know, this uh, just listening to your show was one of the biggest steps for me to get moving on this and to make my life into put myself into a better situation for my life. It's just things like that. At the end of the day, like if I didn't have to care about money, I would just love teaching people how to make them make a better life. But I do have to make some money. So there's certain things I've found in between. But even within my agent business, I found that a big part of that is teaching people how to get into these steps to make themselves have a better life.
0: That's absolutely true, man. We are kindred spirits on that front. So finally, who is a mentor that's inspired you to live your best life every single day?
1: Honestly, that's one I haven't completely figured out. Um, I haven't met one person exactly who I'm like completely idolizing because I end up as bad as it sounds, I end up kind of finding some little flaw in every single person that like they say they're living their best life, but then you can see there's these things they're doing that they don't like. So there's not been anybody specifically. It's I've more taken it as uh, reflecting generally from each person I meet. And saying, what are they enjoying? And for the things that you can kind of tell are underlying reasons that they don't specifically, uh, they aren't specifically happy with what they're doing. I try to look at that and keep that in mind of, you know, so and so is super excited about this, but they've put themselves into said box, basically. Um, and that's what's keeping them kind of unhappy or uh, displeased with whatever they're doing. So, yeah, I've never had a specific person, um, but that's how I've been looking at it lately.
0: Absolutely. I mean, nobody's perfect. It's really easy to get into that kind of mindset where, where you look at somebody and you think, oh, I love everything about them. And then you find that thing and it's a big thing. And so you, you maybe decide why well, I, I, I can't learn anything. But obviously, you can take a little bit of something from everybody who's kind of a couple examples of maybe your board of directors, people who you look at and you think, you know, I like what they're doing in this, this part of their life.
1: Um, my partner Ben is one of them because he's just generally excited about things. You know, he even in his kind of down times, he's still like kind of pushing forward and you know, he's figured out him and his wife have both figured out how to kind of enjoy their lives, even with the kind of barriers that are placed in front of them uh to make certain things happen. Um from there, I look at uh let's see, who's another good one? I look at like my in-laws, actually. Um they complain about their jobs and things like that. But at the end of the day, they're just happy to be around their family and things like that. There, There's no, they don't have this huge drive to do more. They just have this thing where like their mindset is we'd love to be around family. I see them every week. Like it's almost to the point I love them, but it's almost obnoxious how often it gets together with them. But I love that part of them. And that's why I'm, I was excited to become part of their family. It's just, it's such a close knit thing that to them, Importance was just family. It had nothing to do with the rest. As long as family can get together and be close, um, that was their big thing. So I would say looking at that and then now looking at my parents since they've come through the bankruptcy and everything else and realized what they what they wanted in life, um, seeing that and kind of learning from their lessons and watching that they've taken these steps to kind of put themselves back into what they want to do. Even though they're busy all the time, um, you know, they they are doing what they truly want to do at this point um, outside of just the making money. You know, my parents were in the busiest time of their life and I was raised Catholic. My dad had no time at all, but he wanted to become a deacon. So my dad went and became a deacon. He has even less time now, but he is so happy that he's able to like, for him, that's his way of teaching people is being a Catholic deacon um, and helping them out that way. So it's great to see them finally come around to what
0: they want to do to teach people. That's really cool. That's definitely cool. So awesome, Dan. Well, this is some powerful stuff. It's great to meet a lifestyle entrepreneur like yourself, who's just out there living a good life, enjoying himself, building a business the way that you want to build it. Where can other people find out more about what you're doing or potentially get in touch?
1: So the easiest place is to get in touch. Um, the podcast is the simplest one. Um, and that's millennial-realestate.com. Um, you can just check us out there. You can send us a note. Um, you'll reach out to me or Ben there. Um, if you're in the Denver area, feel free to send me a message. If you ever want to meet up, um, that'd be dan at redhawkteam.com. Um, and same thing, come out to the badass meetups if you ever get a chance. Um, the mantras basically get drunk and make friends. Um, but that's why we become popular because we don't we don't pitch you anything. We just make it so everybody can get together, have a good time, and build a better community.
0: That's really great. If you're in the Denver area, definitely look forward to seeing you at one of those events. And if you're not, check out the Millennial Real Estate Investor Podcast. It's a it's a great show. I was uh, honored to be able to be on it and I'm honored to have you here today, Dan. So thanks so much. And uh, I look forward to the next one. Thanks, Steven. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to investormindset.com to join the Insider Club where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.